0: I am here with Todd Connor, who is the CEO and founder of Bunker Labs, which is based in Chicago. Todd, awesome to have you on this podcast, Investors and Operators. Um, Really, the purpose of, of this podcast and a lot of the content that I do is less about the how and the what, and it's more about the who and the why. Uh, but before we get to that part of this discussion, Todd, I'd love to kind of turn it over to you and get a little bit of your background leading up to starting Bunker Labs.
1: Sure. Um, Jordan, thanks for having me on amidst uh, this global pandemic. <laughs> I'm glad that we're still able to to meet face-to-face and commiserate about kids and challenges of life that are happening in the background for all of us. Um, so I, I, yeah, my quick story, I'm from Chicago, went to school in Chicago, joined the ROTC program, did some time in the Navy, the station on board the USS Bunker Hill, which is sort of the namesake for um, for Bunker Labs, actually. And, you know, for me, joining the military serving was just like, something I wanted to do. I was excited to do it. I never saw it as a career for myself. I wanted to sort of have that stamp early in life and um, and was grateful for everything it it, it was for me. Um, it was an interesting time. It was 9-11. So, you know, pre-9-11, post-9-11, I feel like if you we're on active duty at that point, like the world just changed. And I think it's been different ever since. Certainly in the Navy, it was, uh, we went from having a planned deployment with like, you know, 12 port visits to a, a deployment that was like three months longer with one port visit, you know, so that was sort of the nature of being at sea afterwards, but had an amazing experience, got out, came back to Chicago, like most veterans that are transitioning out, you, you're you're in this journey of like self discovery and trying to figure out what's my life purpose. Now, how do I it's both the existential questions of like, what do I do with my life? But also the practical questions of like, how do you go out and, and network and get and find the right opportunity? And so just did some things, went to business school, had a couple of different management jobs. When did you start B school? I uh, got out of active duty in 2004, started business school in 2005. Okay. And I was going to school part-time evening, like evening program at the University of Chicago. What
0: were you doing um, to pay the bills uh, when you're-
1: yeah, I got a job at a company called McMaster Car Supply Company, and they're a privately held industrial distribution company with a very generous tuition benefit. And um, they liked hiring junior officers because they, I mean, a lot of the roles. I mean, I was I was supervising different functions within a warehouse as well as had a marketing rotation, but sort of like this generalist management job, and just a, a really fantastic company, very well run, privately held. So you know, kind of different in terms of some of their methodologies and culture and things like that. But, um, but yeah, I was, um, I was working actually for the state of Illinois and the job that I was not excited about I'm working for the inspector general to sort of fight waste, fraud and abuse within the state of Illinois, which is a really noble mission. I was actually very excited about that mission, sought the job while on active duty, got the job, started the job, realized, hey, this job doesn't make sense for actually who I am or what I want to do. And I think that's I, you know, I think a lot of veterans have, can share that experience of like, you just got the wrong, you know, you sought something, you got it, but it just wasn't the right thing. And so there's some trial and error that goes into this. And then this company McMaster car called me and said, we think that you should come interview. And I was like, I'm all, I'm all in Um, particularly knowing I had applied for business school, had been accepted and didn't really have a plan to pay for it. I mean, I would have done sort of you know, gotten student loans or used what I could have through the post-911 GI bill and things like that. But, um, but yeah, they paid for it. So that was a gift. And then undergrad was paid for because of
0: ROTC. And that too was a gift. So those are fortunate things early in life. You started mm-hmm. as an investigator at the inspector general's office for the state of Illinois. And cool. then you became a regional manager for McMaster Carr. Mm-hmm. And then what What was Ms. McMaster Carr again?
1: That's an industrial like distribution company. Okay.
0: Yeah, so and then, I spent
1: two and a half years there while I got my uh, MBA at night. Yeah. And then, and then it seems after I that, you went to Booz. Yeah, after that, I went to Booz, and I worked in Booz Allen Hamilton. I worked in their commercial strategy practice, um, which they later split off as Booz and Company. But um, I went there. I went to I sort of was working with clients nationally. It was based in DC, but was working primarily in California. And to me, it was sort of like. I, I felt like I, you know, you got, you know, in the military, i like, you're on this upward trajectory, you get out. And I think most of us, I certainly did. Like you take a dip professionally because you're trying to like figure out what's next. And so I felt like when I got out, I wasn't quite on par with my peers. You take a little bit of a dip, like which is a job or two that isn't quite a fit. But then you, you know, coming out of business school and then getting a job as a management consultant felt like I was back on parity against my peer set and uh, was in that job for a year and felt like I had kind of settled out, if you will, post-military, and then quit. And I was like, I I, I wanna start my own business, I wanna do entrepreneurial things, and I'm in a good and safe management consulting job, I don't have any debt, and I I have dreams of starting businesses, and running
0: from, you know, doing things. Kind of going back to your decision of an MBA, um, given what you know now, what do you think are some reasons to do an MBA and not to do an MBA? Reasons Should we all just go it. sit on the beach and do an MBA for two years and wait out this, <laughs> you know, this small thing that's happening it's <laughs> or is this a time to attack and start a business? Like what are some considerations? So
1: I think you've got to take the long view on your lifetime earned income and, and have a strategy. I think the, the short answer is if it's free, do it. You know? So if, the, if you've got yellow ribbon or, or the GI Bill is paying for it, or in my case, my employer is paying for it, no brainer,
0: get the MBA. Does that if matter like, on this, the cache? Like, I'm only going top tier, otherwise I'm not doing it. What's that opportunity cost?
1: Yeah, I think, uh, again, I go back to the financial investment. If it's free and you can work and you can go to a a top tier school, I think it's a no-brainer. I think, like, absolutely you should do it. I think if it's free and you can work and you can go to a – I hate to use the term tiers, but, you know, sort of a school that's right for you, I still think do it. I think if, you know, to me, if it's free and it advances you, why wouldn't you do it if you 're having to make choices between that and spend time with your family then it's more nuanced and you know I, I would give blanket advice, but I think where, where you got to ask your, i think where you need to pressure test the thesis is what if it's if you're going to take on like one hundred and eighty thousand dollars in debt, I would say time out a lot of people too many people i think go into an MBA program on the thesis that i'll be better positioned for the future for some opportunity that i don't know yet what it is and i and i would say like unless you've got a better thesis you need a better thesis than that before you go spend one hundred eighty thousand dollars uh, and take on that debt because it's real debt i don't care if it's low interest or if it's you know or if the, the payback period is 30 or 50 years it's it's real debt so don't don't i think higher ed in some ways has sort of taught conditioned us that like Student debt isn't like it's sort of like it's a, it's yeah. acceptable debt. It's not real <laughs> debt. It's like it's student debt. Like that's normal. We all have it. And it's like actually,
0: it's like the most real debt there is because you you out of all the types of debt you can have, you're still paying that back.
1: Yeah, and they're you know so it's like then they will get their pound of flesh. And so do run the numbers. You know, make this an economic decision. And if you know specifically that you want to be in like management consulting and and the and the trajectory of Getting to where you need to go requires an MBA from a top school, and you know you have some forecasts as to what your net earnings are going to be following. Then okay, then do it. I think most of us don't have a crystal ball and can forecast that level of accuracy. So I go back to if it's free, go get it. Uh, if you are going to take, if it's going to be two hundred thousand dollars in debt, I would say like I'd be cautious in this environment uh, before I sign myself up. But now having said that, I'll contradict myself a little bit and say. You know, if you're unemployed right now and you're trying to figure out how do I kind of create opportunities in this environment and it's going to be a, a rough couple of years, you know, from a timing standpoint, this is probably a good time to go back to school. Um, but I go back to know the debt that you're taking on. I mean, treat this as a financial decision. It's not just a carte blanche. Like, it's always better to have an MBA. I just,
0: it's, I think it's more nuanced than that. So that was in 2009 when you left Booze. And then you start to go down the entrepreneurial path. Yeah, Can we fill in the the story <laughs> in between that and starting Bunker Labs in 2014. Yeah. Sure,
1: I um, I didn't. I knew I wanted to sort of. I, here's what I knew I wanted. I, you know, when you're a management consultant, and you're traveling to clients, you're working 80 hour weeks. It's pretty awesome, by the way. Like you're paying for meals, you're making six figures. Like you know, I was like, man, I'm, this is a good life. But my goal in life has never been just to accumulate like wealth or I'm just not driven by that. It's just not, it's not that interesting to me. And so, you know, and I think I want to do interesting work, but I also want to do work that matters and is impactful and like touches people's lives. Right. So I think for me working a busy job, um, I didn't have the white space to figure out and have a coherent plan for here. So I'm going to go start a business. So I sort of use the blunt instrument, which is just like pull the rip card, rip cord, quit the job. And my My boss at the time, uh, the senior partner of the practice, who was a great guy, and he's like, "Why are you quitting? He's like, "You've had great assignments, you've done really interesting stuff, you're working in monterey, California
0: um, you're rising star, you'll be able to take yeah. over this this vertical and then be a partner, et cetera
1: right yeah, like you could kind of, yeah like the, like it's it's looking good you know, and this was it was actually a little bit of a speech I had when I was leaving the Navy, although that was more nuanced about like you know like there's a career path, you know, but I was like, but but you got to ask yourself, like, at the end of this, does it, is, it what, is it what you want, you know? And is, like, being a partner at a, at a consulting firm what you want? And, I'm like, and I, I think, by the way, it's an awesome career for certain folks. I probably like that career more now than I did then. <laughs> um, but, but I was like, it's not – I don't think it's ultimately what I want, you know? And so, again, you, if you take the long view of your life, you, 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 you look at it and you say, it's either a very risky decision to quit a job Because you look at the next six months and you're like, there's nothing good about the next six months that says quitting now makes sense. If you take a 40-year look at your life, then you feel urgency to get started towards the thing that is like your ultimate
0: investment. Let's say you're eight to 10 years in and you're about to get out in three months. And what are some questions that they can ask themselves to start to piece together that puzzle about the long view?
1: Well, so I think you gotta try some things before you know you know, part of how you get to the answer is by knowing what it's not. So I think I needed to work in management consulting because, and to find out like, I don't think this is it. Now, I like being a consultant and I work in professional services and I started my own management consulting business. So it was really, it wasn't about like the domain I don't like. It was more about, I want the freedom to sort of work in more specific ways towards my interests. And I think that I can actually make a, a, a bigger contribution to clients if I'm not tethered to a larger organization. And so, but some of that you, you learn, the advice I would give is number one is like, make sure your personal finances are in order, right? So for me, like my finances were very simple, um, but I was like, I can quit and I can do this for nine months. And like, by the way, I'm going to rent a bedroom from a buddy of mine that costs, you know, 500 bucks a month and, I'm, and, I'll, and I'll eat ramen noodles. Like I don't care, you know? And so which when you're 29 or 28, I guess it was 27 or 28, that can feel like a lot, you know, if like, if it matters to you have a, to have a cool car, then like, like, that's a choice, you know? So you gotta be willing to be like, I'm willing to like live simple, live scrappy because the freedom it affords me is more important than like whatever material wealth I think I'm, I've got now or I need now or, you know, whatever. And again, but there are a couple of again.
0: interesting points here. One is the, the process you went through of thinking through the worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. of, a live to friends, I'll eat ramen noodles. Two arms, two legs, two eyes, guess what? I can live to fight another day, um, is one thing. But I, I think the other really critical thing that I'm taking away from this is the importance of white space. And mm-hmm. especially if, you know when people might have one or two kids, there is no white space. Right. <laughs> and so, but, and then we don't appreciate the need to have that white space. Um, it sounded like you did not have that white space to think creatively, to think really about what you wanted to do because things were going a thousand miles an hour when you're consulting. Correct. And it's
1: not just white space. It's, it's white space to think, but it's also white space to experiment. And, um, like, because what happened, you know, after I, after I, uh, left Booz Allen and came back to Chicago, I sort of launched three projects at once to sort of see like you're just in a state of discovery, right? And part of how you discover is like, you start podcasts, you, you go talk to like prospective clients about like what their needs are. You figure out if you can, you know, like you get involved in a lot of things. Like you you get your ear to the ground and you join a bunch of initiatives and start adding value where you can. You start, you start to learn. And this has to, in my view, be discovered. It's not, it's not intellectual exercise solely. It's, um, you find out, you discover. It's a it's a process of discovery where I'm needed, you know, and where I can add value and where the opportunities are, um, and so um, and that's what I did. I spent about two years experimenting, like launched a couple of businesses, sort of things that work, things that didn't. Something like one thing that worked real well, something that didn't work. But you, that's the, that's the process of discovery. Um, and I needed that. Maybe there's a better way, more sophisticated way to do it, but I needed that sort of mechanism to. I needed a space, right, to to, to think, but also to experiment. And I, I, I just think that distinction is important because you don't. I think sometimes people think it's about quitting and taking the leap. I think it's much more about make sure you've got financial continuity, and then build into your life the opportunity to discover through controlled experiments what the opportunities on the other side could look like, you know? And so I think if you're working as a government contractor and you're like, I don't love this, like what do you think you do love and go fill up nights and weekends learning about that, right, and so time is the variable, like and I'll acknowledge if you have like kids and stuff happening, like you may not, this may not be the season of your life to do that um, because you, just, you do need some, some, some white space and it, it's hard to
0: find. When you talk about finances and making sure things are set, what does that mean? So a lot of people who, let's say they're getting out or they're just out and they've always wanted to start a business and they have one kid or they're expecting their first kid and like, okay, personal finances, like I have to save everything. So how much do I need to have in the bank before I even start a business or take that risk? Or how do I think through risk before I can actually take the plunge?
1: Yeah. You know, well, if you're married, it's a collaborative conversation. Um, It's a set of choices. You know, I think it's getting really grounded in the money that we're spending and why we're spending it and where we're spending it. You know, so that's one. And and I I think if you need, you should feel like you've got six to twelve months of runway um, before you, you you know before you turn off financial income. I think the I think the bigger task, and even when I've been full time employed, I've always thought of like alternative ways to go and cultivate opportunities on the side. Like even when I was working at McMaster car supply company, like every lunch for an hour, I would go and um, I would go in like to a coffee shop and like work on like business plans. Like I, I was just hyper conscious of like whatever nooks and crannies in my day I had um, that that would be consumed with me thinking about and strategizing for what's next. So you know, get grounded, get grounded in how do you spend every minute or every day? If you're married, have a conversation with your spouse about how to reclaim some of that. How do we better do this? Get grounded in your math. Like, how much money do I have? You know, can I, um, can I, like, if I quit today, what's the worst case? Absolutely understand the worst case scenario, but understand some, some alternative scenarios as well. I think we tend to think about the worst case and the best case. And it's almost always a case in between, you know, that you start something and it's not, exactly the win that you thought it was going to be, but it's, it's also not the abject failure that you thought it could be as well. So, um, the truth is almost always something in, in between those two things. And, um, I think you got to learn some of that. I, I, you know, you can't script some of this. It's gotta be discovered. And it took me a couple of years of discovery to figure out what the contribution was I could make at that point, but it's, you know, and then I figured it out but that's an iterative process. And the more you do that, the, the easier it gets to do that again and again and again. And so um, I think it's acknowledging, and this is, this is where your ego takes a hit. It's acknowledging, like, I'm going to be a season of my life where I don't have the answers, but I'm out, I'm out in the world discovering what it could look like. And um, I think we think, particularly in the military, like, you got to prepackage the whole solution and, like, I'm going to announce it and then it's going to go according to plan. Right, it's like I'm doing this, and then like we've already set what success looks like, and that could be a trap. You know, the more provocative thing is to say like, I'm I'm gonna I'm committed to to understanding this one problem, and I don't know what the solution is yet, but I'm really curious about it, and I'm gonna go spend energy on it.
0: Oh, I I love that just because so many people have kind of a false expectation of what life after after the military might look like, and or life in any transition, and it's almost like an acceptance, and almost like a uh, a radical acceptance that it's gonna be broken a lot of that way. But that experimentation to your point, that discovery is is critical to getting to where you want to do and forming that long long view.
1: Yeah, and I think it's the discovery piece is, there's a misconception that entrepreneurs are like, have like a high tolerance for risk. It's It's, I think we've framed the conversation in entirely the wrong terms. It's not about risk. It's about, it's good entrepreneurs, strategically de-risk the process of starting a business bill gates had a job while he was building microsoft you know and and it was only until like microsoft had like sufficient maturity that it, like quit and did the thing full time right and and a lot of successful entrepreneurs cultivate and start the thing as a side hustle right it's 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 not the folklore of like we we mortgage the house and like we're down to our last dollar and then it worked i mean sometimes like I, I hear those stories as well, but it's it's folly to think that that's like the instruction manual on how to do this. Like the better, more strategic path. And frankly, and there's research on this, the better path, the smarter path, the more successful path is entrepreneurs de-risk the process so they can go out, run the experiments. They, they have financial security either because they're still working or because their spouse is working and they're being supported or because they're getting like BAH or they're, you know, um, whatever the case, um, but it creates a runway for them. And it's not just a runway for their own lives. It's actually, it actually, turns out to be a runway for the business. So, so there's less pressure on the business as a result of this runway. There's less pressure on themselves personally. And there's more time to discover like product market fit. If you want to think of it like that, like you as the entrepreneur are the product, you need time in the marketplace to determine like, where's the fit. And so that there's a process to this and i've actually i'm i have a book coming out in the fall that sort of articulates the process as i see it around how to do this strategically in a way that doesn't create personal risk for yourself and i think the last thing i say, jordan is this process of like opening up creating white space is it's something that i think i do in every chapter of my life where i'm trying to figure out what's next and like i'm you know we ju- i just stepped down as ceo of bunker labs i'm technically i'm still with the organization i have the title of founder but i'm there's blake hogan is now the ceo and so I'm I've sort of clearing the decks a little bit to, to sort of zoom out step back and say, okay, given the environment we're in, how do I, what do I do as a human to make my highest and best contribution? And what's, what's going on here, you know, but you got to zoom out to sort of do that. So, um, you know, again, so I think it's something that it's not just like you do it the first time you start a business and then you're done. It's like, it's an iterative process. It's a lifestyle. It's a way of thinking and observing that is, is cultivated over time.
0: So let's go over to the Bunker Lab story. It, you started in, in 2014. What's the story about getting it off the ground and, and how it has evolved since 2014?
1: Yeah, it's evolved a lot. So we started in 2014 and, and there, you know, I had the title founder, but nothing is done in isolation. There's always partners along the way. And I have a long list of folks who have, have, always um done the heavy lift along with me to sort of build the organization to what it is today but
0: and actually um, before we jump too far in can you tell can you t- say what bunker labs is <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> i sure, think we
0: sure. i breezed through that sorry
1: yes yeah, so, so bunker labs is a uh, organization uh, nonprofit that helps military veterans and military spouses and more broadly sort of the military connected community start businesses and so um, we have four programs that we run. We have an online program called Launch Lab Online. We have monthly networking events, which we've sort of suspended for now in person, but we're doing them virtually, called Bunker Brews. We have a, a, pro- a partnership with WeWork in, I think, 24 cities called the Veterans and Residence Program, where we incubate across those 24 cities 10 veteran-owned companies for six months at a time, veteran or military spouse-owned companies, it's like an incubation. And then we run a program called CEO Circle, which is like a mastermind group. So, we run these four programs across 30, I think 31 chapters today across the United States. So it's a national organization. We have about 28 employees total. We have about 200 volunteer city leaders that actually sort of are ambassadors and run the chapters locally. And then we're, we're supporting about 2000 entrepreneurs a year through, these, through that kind of program portfolio. So it's pretty awesome. And I, awesome in the sense that like, I feel humbled. Um, to sort of hopefully be a catalyst to create a platform for entrepreneurs to kind of connect because my whole theory is you've got some super talented military veterans who want to start businesses you've you know and if we can just get them talking to each other the wisdom and learned and lived experiences within the community the question is just how do you help the community kind of gather to sort of be a catalyst for itself right so it's less about bunker labs is teaching you everything it's more about Bunker Labs is a network for you to kind of access the world of entrepreneurship support that you need uh, in, in terms of mentors and experts and programs. And so we take that leverage and we go and negotiate um, to get access for the veteran community to things like WeWork, to things like, you know, low interest loans, to things like, you know, venture capitals, uh, venture, meeting venture capitalists and, and the investor community.
0: So the fundamental thing is to be the community for veteran-owned or military spouses, to be that community, to be that hub uh, for businesses and to be that connection point.
1: Exactly, because the theory is, um, as we see it, you know, there's a lot of support for entrepreneurs um, that's out there, right? There's Y Combinator, there's Techstars, there's the SBA, there's educational programs, there's a lot of free stuff. You know, there's fintech accelerators, there's food tech accelerators. So there's a lot that's already out there. Um, What we want to be is sort of the front door for the military connected community that really doesn't know. I mean, their mental model of entrepreneurship might just be like, I saw Shark Tank and I thought that was cool. What we want to do is bring them in to the community, kind of help them with those early day conversations about like, how do you get started? Uh, And then at some point when they're at a point of maturity, get them networked into like the right next resource. Right. So we don't, it's like your whole journey as an entrepreneur should not just be bunker labs. It should at some point involve your local chamber of commerce, maybe an accelerator, um, maybe an SBA program, Um, you know, things that are specific to your industry, your niche, the needs that you have. But we do want to be, we don't want to leave all this value of being a part of the military community on the table. And so I always, I sometimes say, um, I think the military-connected community is one of the most powerful networks in the world. The American military community is one of the most powerful networks in the world, but we are um, one of the least organized. We don't have an alumni association, right? So as simple, and that's like elite me, right? It's as simple as that is. We don't have a mechanism to convene. And so that's the role that the Chamber of Commerce plays. That's the role that I think Bunker Labs can play to make sure that we've got through lines um for uh business owners that are veterans uh, or military connected that want to sort of tie in and exercise some of that social goodwill that they have back to the military community so um so that's the thesis and then we we run a bunch of programs as well
0: Um, what do you think are some of the key reasons why you've been successful in building this nationwide network and have had the impact that you have
1: well um I appreciate the question um, compliment. I, I think number one is like, people always tell clean stories about how good it is. I think the reality is always like, it's harder than, it's harder and it's messier than, than you see. Um, so, you know, we have challenges like every organization, like it's hard, um, it, especially now, you know, you're dealing with funders and it's challenging, right? It's challenging, it's challenging to run an organization, but the extent that we have been successful, it's a, few, it's a few things. It's, I'd say it's three things. Number one is it's values. It's having cultural values that you live by, hire by, fire by, and we are like dogged about that. Um, and I think most good organizations, like really good organizations have like very specifically articulated values and it is the currency by which they hire people, promote people and and exit people, including volunteers, including board members, including sponsors, uh, including customers, right? So. So the values are, to me, impenetrable. We had six of them. I won't go through what they are. but, But having an articulated value system, it lets people know who you are. And we want people that act like this, believe this, role model this. We want sponsors that believe this, act like this. Our sponsors want organizations that, you know, like sort of they're looking for that alignment as well. And it really is about the values more than it is about the programs. So the values is number one. And, and I've I articulated them early, we've refined them. But if you don't have this stuff written down, if it isn't lived, it, then it, it, it can't, it's not material. It's not just like, oh yeah, like we did that 18 months ago. Like it's in the break room somewhere. Like it, that, that's not what I'm talking about. So the first value of why we've been successful is we're very focused internally on living our values. Like if you do something that is mean, like, you don't stay if you do something that's unethical like you don't stay and, and then those are obvious it's like well yeah sure we want nice people and we want ethical people but a lot of organizations it's like if they talk a lot about performance but they don't talk a lot about behavior then like yeah you can be mean if you get bottom line results so values are nuanced and they matter for us one of our values is about being customer focused but we say we wouldn't do anything for the community that we wouldn't be excited to do ourselves and so everything that we do as an organization, we try to sort of make it relevant for you. Like our newsletters are not about Bunker Labs. They're about you. They're about entrepreneurs. They're about people starting businesses. It's stories about them. So it's very externally focused. And that's um, very intentional. You know, Um, some websites, you go to their website and it's like, and this is a little counterintuitive, but it's like, it's all about them. I'm not on you know, your bank's website because I want to learn about your bank. I'm I'm on your bank's website because I want to learn about my finances, you know? And I think a lot of companies get that wrong. A lot of nonprofits get that wrong. So we really lead with stuff about you and some, and we get critique because like you can't find my bio on our website. You may not be able to find other things because it's like, our view is it should, some of it's there if you, if you poke, but it's not, it's not the headline, you know? It's really about like, what do you need right now? It's like, you go to, a, you know, so that's a big thing for us. And then the third thing I think is just um, discipline, operating discipline. Operating discipline is saying no to a lot of things that are inbound. Um, you have to be really laser focused. And I think, I think there's, there, there's mixed messaging on this for entrepreneurs. Because on the one hand, it's like be open to opportunity. I have seen more companies die by, you know, death by networking Because they're just like coffee after coffee after coffee, networking after networking after networking. And there's a place for that to network and to discover and have coffee and connect and talk. But I will tell you that if the balance of your day isn't focused on execution towards the thing that you know you need to get done, um, you can... Uh, you can waste a lot of time. You can waste a lot of money. So we, so, and that's hard to do when you're a nonprofit because everyone wants to sort of like network. And, and, and so you got to find a way to sort of carve out, have that, but stay focused on your mission. Um, and I think I see too many entrepreneurs without a clear thesis about what it is they're trying to do. They're not focused. You know, it's like, to me, it's like you're either um, kind of playing offense against your own agenda or you're playing defense against someone else's, right? So you got to find the balance of like, but if, it was a good, if, it, if it's something that we should have pursued, um, then why didn't we decide that we wanted to pursue it before it just landed on your lap, you know? And so there's a lot of stuff, particularly when you're growing in an organization as we have, you know, six years, there's a lot that comes at you by way, it's like, it's an opportunity. But if you stop and react, you know, what you end up with is like a really cobbled together strategy, like a hodgepodge of things that may not be bad, but again, it's not about, is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? It's like, it could be a great technology platform, but it's the wrong time and it's not part of our strategy right now. So you've really got to have like a mental model for like a, a discipline for like, here's what we're doing now. It's like being on a, it's like being on a diet. It's like, is keto a good diet? Sure. It's a good diet. You know, can carbo loading be a good diet? It can be a great diet, you know, you know, it, but it's all about like, it's about the consistency of the diet, it's a, you know, because if you do one diet this week and a different diet next week, like none of it works. And so it's about, it's about picking a strategy and sticking to it, um, and then really knowing that all the stuff that comes at you, whether it's in or out of scope, against the strategy that you have articulated. Um, and I think, I think a lot of entrepreneurs think it's about being like widely open to all ideas. And I, I, I think you got to have a calibration of like this is actually where I'm trying to go, and I and I know why, and I know what kinds of conversations are within scope and without like beyond scope for for that mission.
0: It's interesting, and there's that. You know some of the best ideas come from thinking tangentially but not letting that tangential thinking uh get you away from the critical few things that you need to do in a given day or week and an example of that would be you know a lot of the videos that we are producing sometimes like i i when i look at videos on different social media platforms because the uh viewers are different like i get so many creative ideas on how to Mm -hmm. incorporate that into my market within private equity investment banking and doing media for them so but i don't i have to keep things fresh but in a given day you can't watch 10 hours of youtube videos yeah, <laughs> otherwise yeah. i mean it just and, gets away from yeah. you
1: <laughs> no and this is like i think really this is the tension in entrepreneurship and and i call it like controlled curiosity it's like i'm going to strategically step beyond the boundaries of this thing and go have a walkabout, and because I need the situ like I need the situational awareness, um, but I'm mindful of like how much time I spent doing that versus a set of tasks that I've determined like are are critical for me moving forward. Um, and it you know you can call it like KPIs. I mean, you can call it. There's a lot of ways to put sort of discipline around this, and 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 having I think a good operating system as an entrepreneur is critical. Like I think, and it doesn't have to be complicated, but. You know, like knowing like, what, what is a good week for me this week going to look like? What is a good day for me? What is a good year for me? You know, just like that simple kind of frame and then keeping yourself honest because busy is a, is a horrible metric of evaluation for how's it going? And like the first answer is like to sort of answer it in the context of how busy they are. And that's, that's, that's the wrong answer, you know? Um, if you're doing nothing, that's probably, that probably means something's not working. But, it, but a good answer <laughs> is like, I'm on, I'm on plan. You know, I'm on I'm plan for what I what I have determined I need to do.
0: What are before we kind of transition over to entrepreneurship in our current context? What are some in looking back at the past six years of growing Bunker Labs? What have you discovered about yourself as kind of your key strengths and your biggest weaknesses that you needed to complement with team and with advisors?
1: Oh. It's a great question, and I think this this soul searching is, is critical. We talk about entrepreneurship and careers more generally, and we envision it as like an upward kind of up into the right model. We sort of definitionally sort of envision it as like climbing mountains towards peaks. Like progress is like sort of more and more success, and you know it's up into the right. That's the wrong way to think about it, in my view. I, th- I think I, I think a better metaphor is sort of like lily pads. Like there's a pond full of lily pads. And the question is like, which one do you belong on? And all of them are great, but we're all here to play a specific role. And, and the question is, like the CEO's job isn't better or more important. It pays more usually, but it's not better or more important than the person who works in HR or the person that works in facilities. But the skill set required and applied is just specific to that. And so I think for me, my self-discovery is sort of like, I'm good on a growth trajectory as a visionary with a small team. When it's like enterprise level, I think I'm not, like that's not really where I thrive. I think if it's like like scrappy early startup, I'm not a sufficient generalist to sort of like do all the jobs. I mean, I got, I got Bunker there, but I, I do like to start things, but I like to do it with a small team.
0: Um, but yeah. on the part about strengths and weaknesses, so you're, you're saying that you really like to be impactful and up and to the right, but in a smaller context. I
1: th- well, I think it's more about the, I think it's more about the organizational stage that something is at, right? So I, I, so I think it's fun to, when something gets to an enterprise level, which I sort of I would say loosely Bunker Labs is sort of at. There are it's just a different skill, it's a different skill set, it's a different sort of appetite required. Um, it's also about how long you as a founder want to sort of, um, you know, you think that you are the right person for a given role. And so you know, for me, it's less, it's not about building sort of like a I don't know, like a, like a legacy. It's not about building something that you can sort of like sit on top of and like rest, you know, like that's not the point it's about, it's about taking ideas that you think are interesting, putting them together in a way that sort of the market also finds interesting and then seeing them sort of grow and scale, that is the satisfaction for me. And and doing that in a context where there's like impact involved, like, so I don't, you know, everything that I will do, I think needs to sort of touch you know, human lives is, you know, hopefully being impactful for them. And so I think it's just about that. It's about knowing like, this is what I'm built to do in the world and um, and not having judgment around that. And I think I think good businesses with good strategy know what they are and they also know what they are not. So they're quick to say, you know, like I had a foundation reach out to me yesterday and they're like, we're interested in funding veterans organizations that are doing this kind of work. It's tempting, it's tempting, especially when you're a startup to be like, I'll do that because there's funding you know, or like that could be a customer, but maturity is saying, Hey, I, I totally know what you're trying to do. You should go talk to this person. It's not us. You should go give the business to this person or this organization. Cause they're right for that. I think that's maturity of an organization, which by the way, it earns you a lot of confidence. Cause then people say, wow, this organization they're not just going to sell you something. They know, they know what it is that they do. They're very clear about that. But if we decide that we want to do that, we should call them first because they're very defined. Same thing for us as entrepreneurs and as people. It's like, it's knowing, and, and there's a little bit of confidence that has to come with this where you can say, I, this is what I'm really built to do. And so if you, have, if you need things that look like this, call me because I can do it. And by the way, if you have things that don't look like that, like I'm not the person to do that. But that's that involves saying no to opportunities, including when things are successful or going well. And so, um, you know, I don't know. I, 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 there's no answers with this other than, you know, I think it's something that you explore within yourself and you, you sort of learn. And I think it's an iterative journey, at least it has been for me.
0: So, with where we're at in this current context, with the economy, with the health crisis, what is your message to the entrepreneurs out there and whether or not? just things that they should be thinking about on whether or not they should start a business or if they're in the middle of a storm, how -hmm. to persevere through that.
1: Yeah. Well, it's tough. I I think the military community has got some unique training as it relates to this. So, um, you know, to me, it's like put yourself in mental model of like, we're, we're, we're doing battle and, um, you know, like deployment in the Persian Gulf was painful. It's not fun, but it you, you find humor, dark humor in some of the ridiculousness of it all. And so I think you've got to try to draw on some of that levity of just the fact that we're in this together. Take the long view, like we're going to get through this. Like we had the roaring twenties, like it's going to be a hard time. It is a hard time. It's going to be, it's a weird time. It's a unique time, but if you take sort of a the long view, it's also the time that you're going to look back on and be like, dude, remember when we sheltered in place for like a year, like I didn't leave my apartment and like my neck hurt because I was like at Zoom all day. So I think take the long view, recognize that we're in this, Um, put people around you, um, not necessarily physically but virtually and definitely emotionally who can kind of ride this with you. Get simple in terms of what your material needs are. You know, realize you can do more with less. I think that's a wake-up call for most Americans. I think the military community is probably already wired to that thinking. And then at some point, um, know this. We're in, a, we're in a period of massive disruption. You know, higher education, hospitality, travel, leisure, retail. I mean, massive disruption. I think bad business models were, uh, are being... Decelerated into obsolescence, good business models will be accelerated into their sort of leadership stature. And I think that amidst this disruption, you're going to have um, opportunities. and so I think the the smart entrepreneur in this moment is sort of like hunker down doing the things you got to do personally, sort of ride the storm, take care of your mental and your physical health, take care of those around you um, and then and then be thinking um, and 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 speculating about what's next because there will be a boom economy that comes out of this. Um, and if if work from home is the new normal, then there's gonna be a relocalization of economies. There's gonna be, you know, a whole set of things that are that are possible. How we think about higher ed, how we think about healthcare. Um, and and opportunities will sort of be there and it's entrepreneurs that will sort of grasp those opportunities. And so I just think take a long view and and believe that like the fundamentals are are gonna be the fundamentals, like if you are close to your customers and can serve them in ways that feels, you know, competent, coherent, like you're going to be successful. (laughs) Q baby. I got mine too. That's all right.
0: (laughs) I just got the handoff, which happens to coincide with uh, the ending of this because you have a call to go to. And I really appreciate your time with this.
1: Thanks, Jordan. It's always good to be with you. And thanks for uh, what you're doing. Tell these stories.
0: All right. Talk to you soon.
1: All right, buddy. Thank you.